Welcome to the Dairy Farmer's Digest, a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we will talk to industry leaders who share their insights and experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Dairy Farmer's Digest. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. Um, I'm super excited today to have Brad Gilchrist from CMEX on. I know there's been a lot of talk around the industry about uh, beef crossbreeds, and I actually did a little Twitter poll here over the weekend, and we'll get into some of those numbers. But uh, a really, really interesting topic, and it seems to be more of a less local and more of a, a, a global initiative to have more beef cross animals on farms. So maybe, Brad, do you want to... Uh, say hi here and uh, maybe give us a little bit about your background and your role with CMEX. Thanks, Keith, and and happy to be on today and, and to chat about this. Um, so yeah, I started, uh, I guess I come from the beef background myself. We live on a beef farm, uh, mixed farm with a little bit of cash crop and, and beef cattle. We've got about 150 Angus cows. We have a couple annual sales where we sell those cattle through um, right off the farm. Throughout my career, I guess I started my passion for 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 the agriculture industry, I guess, kind of came through the 4-H program. I started showing cattle when I was 10 years old and and continue to show cattle to this day through a couple of the, the larger shows, open shows across North America. From that, I guess my passion for agriculture grew and I went to the University of Guelph. Um, I graduated with an honors degree in agriculture from from Guelph and, and then I was hired on with, at the time, the company was called GenCore. So GenCore then turned into EastGen, which is one of the owners of CMEX. And I, and I moved through the system there and, and ended up uh, where I am today, working for CMEX on the beef marketing side of things. So with that, yeah, I guess as I started on, on the EastGen side, it was, it was more dairy focused. You know, I was going around farm to farm breeding cows and, and getting to know producers and, and what their needs and what their wants were. And then I guess as my role morphed into the, the beef side, um, it kind of came back full circle here now recently breeding a lot of these dairy cows to, to beef. You know, again, I think uh, if I was just to say why that's happening, uh, really it's, it's the introduction of sex semen. So as we started to produce a lot more heifers, we needed a way to limit the number of heifer calves being produced or to the bottom half of the herd. And here we are today making a lot of beef cross calves. Well, I know it's super interesting. I think the other thing too is producers can take a lot of credit for this, but they've got a lot better at what they do with um, not not just the introduction of sex semen, but keeping calves alive like in and some of these calf facilities you go to now like they're they put a lot of emphasis on you know cluster management and and good practices for calf rearing and I think you know over the last eight or ten years I think we'd probably see that kind of filter through the system with the amount of dairy replacement inventory around the countryside so it's kind of come full circle and now we're looking at ways to kind of mitigate that that effect I guess so yeah, absolutely. And and I think the other thing with that, um, you know, in the past it was always, oh, well, it's just a bull calf. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of producers probably had, whether it was intentional or not, they probably had a couple different 
ways to treat these calves. You know, the heifer calves got treated one way, the bull calves got treated another way. And now that there's some value in these beef cross calves, I think producers are, are spending a lot more time and, and focusing on the colostrum management on both the bull calves and the heifer calves. And from a PR perspective um, and, and, you know, what the, the public views the industry as, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it used to be, oh, it's just a bull calf, it's just a bull calf. But even, like, over the last few years, you know, you you look at the markets and, you know, sometimes they're getting $300 for a black and white bull calf and other times where, you know, they get a bill from the sale yard. So I think that kind of, it took a lot of the incentive out of doing the right things for these. But I think with farms being growing and there being value in these calves now, whether it be a beef calf or a black and white bull calf, I think producers are focusing a, a lot more on making sure that these animals uh, get a great start off to, to their life. So I, I ran a poll on, on Twitter and I don't know if this is the most academic thing to do or not, but it's uh, I guess it's the best way to, to reach producers. And it's been actually one of the more intriguing polls that uh, I've ever run, but uh, from the numbers, like, I guess I gave the options of, you know, are you breeding some beef? Are you breeding just conventional Holstein? Are you breeding 50 plus percent beef? And 58 of the respondents out of uh, 212, I put a nosy thing in there and I took that out and did some math this morning, but 58, 58% of respondents said that they're breeding 50 plus percent beef to their herd. Yeah. And, and I think uh, that is something that we're seeing. So I, I, I might, uh, I might answer this two different ways. I was, I was, this is something that we're seeing more and more around the world happening. Uh, but I think it depends on, on which market that, that you're in. Conception rates get better and better all the time. And, and as we start to see better practices to, to get more of these live calves, you know, they need less and less um, replacement females to be able to maintain their, their market share. Now, I think in, in North America, that that's what we're seeing is we're seeing more than 50% of, of cows getting bred to beef. Now in markets where, um, you know, China or, or uh, I'm just going to use that as one example, markets that are still very much growing markets that they do not have enough milk production um, already. There are still, what I'm going to say a little bit behind North America where we've probably leveled out our production needs. Um, they're still in a very much a growth phase. So there's, there's two different types of clients that we talk to around the world. And, and there's the client like you're talking about that has a very aggressive beef on dairy strategy. And then there's the, the type of client that still needs uh, replacement females and, and they're not as focused on only keeping the, the replacement females from the top half of their dairy herd. Yeah, and I think our supply managed system here in, in Canada, and if you look at the U.S., they brought in a lot of bases where they don't necessarily want more meat, more milk. And then all of a sudden you compound that with high feed costs and everybody realized, well, your kilos of component production coming out of these older cows is that much more greater than a heifer. And there's also a, a bank account associated with getting a heifer into the milking line like economically i think it just makes sense that producers are trying to to keep older cows around um and like you said just just the need for those replacements coming in just it's just not there now to kind of add a caveat to that like fresh cow prices 
lately have been relatively good around North America. Now, you know, speaking for Ontario up to December, you know, it wasn't unheard of to hear, you know, $3,000 for a fresh animal that's kind of backed off now. And it's just the time of year. And if you look at the milk prices in the U S and, and uh, kind of globally, they've been backing off. So I think that's kind of softened a bit, but they're still getting, you know, 26, 27, $2,800 for the good ones. And your average ones are looking at 22, $2,300. So there's still, I think there's still a need for replacements. And I wonder if we're not seeing the amount of beef being bred is starting to influence that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's, it's supply and demand. So as we've, as we've uh, lowered the supply of replacement females to just with beef, um, the, the, the value of those for sure has come up. And I think that that's still a, an option for producers to, to look at that as a, as a way to create some income out of their herd. But I, I would just caution on um, the number of females that they're trying to make for that intended purpose. And, and, you know, Keith, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, like the cost of what it costs to, to create these heifers and, and get them to the milking stage is, is growing, you know, faster and faster all the time. And, and so the, the amount of risk that we have in these cattle from a, from an economic standpoint is, is increasing. And so, um, you know, the risk reward out of what you're going to get for these fresh heifers, I think sometimes we got to just keep in mind um, how many of them we're willing to keep around to, to hopefully catch that 3000 market. Well, the thing is too, like I look at it from a, a, a cash flow or a business standpoint, like if you're selling a, a seven or 10 day old calf and you're getting, you know, $350, $400 for that animal, you don't have that much money tied up into it. So all of a sudden, if you've got to raise that animal to, to freshening, so you're looking at 22 months worth of cost in that, like it just, I, I, I think your margin in those animals is, is there's a lot of work that goes in to make that margin. And if you look at selling a 10 day old calf, like there's way less work involved and way less cost input to it too. I know that, uh, like the, the amount of replacements coming in or sorry, uh, cross calves coming in, like, how is that affecting the traditional beef industry? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think initially when these beef crosses were starting to be created, um, there was a lot of negative um, stigma in the, in the market, I guess, from the beef side of it. Um, mainly because, you know, there was a lot of producers thinking that these cross calves are going to, going to take over the, the, uh, the number of, of native beef cattle being sold. And, um, but I, that's really changed now and they're being viewed as a way to get the volume of cattle that we need to maintain the the meat market that that we have in North America. And what what I mean by that is the native cow numbers, native beef cow numbers have been declining for the last 10 years. And well, for for more than 10 years, but but really drastically in the last 10 years. And if we look at percentage of of cull cows being slaughtered and percentage of heifers being slaughtered, those numbers as of the last couple of years have been astronomically higher than than what uh, is sustainable for for beef producers to maintain numbers in, in North America. I was gonna so, say what's influencing that? A lot of it is uh, I, I mean margins on on beef cattle are 
getting a little bit smaller. Um, the, you know, beef prices in the last couple of years haven't been uh, as great. Uh, feed stocks in North America have been a battle. Um, there's been a number of places where severe drought has been in Western Canada and, and the Western U.S. Um, and all of those things are pushing producers out of the industry. So because of that, the total number, cowherd numbers are declining. And, you know, I think if we want to keep these larger packers in North America and, and um, producing high quality protein that we have here, um, we need to be able to keep supply them with the volume that they, they need and the, the volume of quality cattle. And to me, the, the beef on dairy cross is, is a way to, to help do that. I've heard that dairy or Holstein has always been traditionally one of the highest beef breeds for meat going into packers, whether it be through calls or veal, maybe not veal, but, uh, cause I think that's more of a Eastern Canada thing, but, uh, um, Holstein beef, you know, Holstein steers and things like that. Like, would I be, be wrong to claim that or think that? No. And, and traditionally, like, so I, I should back up because, you know, the number of head that, that we're sending to harvest is still the same number of head as what we've always sent. It's just a different type of animal now that's being sent. So, you know, in the past, when when a lot more conventional semen was being used, the dairy industry was still sending the same number of head, as you just mentioned, to, to harvest. Um, you know, and it just was in the form of cull cows. It was in the form of veal calves. It was in the form of, um, you know, types of cattle that maybe weren't as in demand for the North American markets, meat markets. And so now what we're doing is we've changed that and there's not as many cull cows going, dairy cull cows going to, to um, harvest. And there's not as many veal calves available to feed. And those calves are now being turned into fat steers that are being able to create a more premium type product um, and hit those specs that uh, the the meat industry is demanding. Yeah, and, and like the the Holsteins have always graded well, from what I understand too. So, like, is the is that what the Packers are like? What's holding the Packers back, or or what are the Packers, I guess, looking for when it comes to you know ribeye, you know, grade or depth or, or I guess I'm showing my naivety a little bit when it comes to the beef side of the business, but uh, what's driving the Packers to choose these Holsteins other than necessity? I, I think we're doing a better job of creating the right animal now. Uh, initially the, the beef cross thing probably was not, was not wanted by, by the Packers and, and mainly because um, the carcasses were getting to be extremely large. Um, they had a lot of dairy confirmation about them. And, and when I say that, they're a little flatter muscled. Um, mm -hmm. So your strips and your ribeyes got a little bit more elongated instead of that nice round shape. Uh, but you are right. They, the Holstein and Jersey dairy genetics, um, they marble exceptionally well. Um, the, the problem with them, though, is they give up a lot of uh, dressing percentage. And so oh, okay. uh, when we look at, when we look at studies, we see that, that dairy cattle, dairy influenced cattle will marble really well, but they'll give up about a 3% uh, dressing percentage when from live weight. 
So the amount of product that they make is is not as good as native beef cattle, but the quality of the product is is really quite good. Initially, when these these dairy crosses came into the market, you know, a lot of producers were just looking for the cheapest option to get a live calf on the ground, and they didn't really care about anything else. Um, and now the the types of animals that we're seeing are are you know by breeding intentionally for cattle that have a little bit more yield grade, a little bit more muscle shape, um, and maintain that marbling that they have. We are starting to see cattle that can hit the specs that we need, and and they are slowly becoming more in demand and less of a you know being used out of necessity. So are the genetic lines tightening up on that? Like, are they, like, I guess my question would be too, is it traditionally Angus or I'm hearing some F1 crosses too, like you're looking at like a Simmental Angus cross or uh, maybe something, a larger beef breed to go with the Holstein just to try and get a bigger calf or what are the packers and I guess the calf growers too, because a lot of these people are are selling these calves in the ring. Like, what are they they looking for? Yeah, so, and the, this is where the beef industry it always has been and, and probably for the most part always will be very segmented. And so you've got, you know, the calf raisers that, uh, you know, they, they want healthy calves um, that gain well. Um, and then they sell them to, to a backgrounder and the backgrounder, you know, he wants them to, to be able to convert feed extremely well. And then the processors, you know, they, they just want them to be able to hang up a, a good carcass. And so everybody through the supply chain for the most part is relatively segmented and they all have their own individual wants and needs. And, you know, the dairy producer at the start of all of this now is, is all they want is, uh, is a live calf and fertility. Mm-hmm. So the problem with that is some of those traits are antagonists. So if you want a live calf, then you don't care how small it is. Um, generally those smaller calves don't perform quite as well and cattle that, you know, maybe gain well, you know, maybe they, they eat a lot to be able to do it. So their dry matter intake is, is quite high. That's something that, that at CMAX we've been very diligent on over the last couple of years and watching data to make sure that we're creating the right sires that are going to create the right kind of calves that are going to work across all segments of the beef industry. And I think as we move forward, we're going to see more and more integrated supply chains that uh, are fully integrated from start to finish. And um, those supply chains are, are going to demand that uh, whatever it is that they're looking for to hit their specs, the genetics match and are aligned with that. So to say what breed, I'm not really answering your question because I think no, all, that's fair. All of the markets are going to use different breeds to to get what it is that they want. We do see a lot of Angus, um, and mainly because Angus has done such a good job of of marketing. Um, but we are seeing more and more Limflex and more and more Sim Angus too. Um, you know, and and as you mentioned, just to get a little bit more performance in those calves and a little bit more muscle shape, those two breeds do bring. Um, a lot of qualities to the table as well like so what's going to happen have to happen in the next few years genetically to get you know the grade and the gain and the feed conversion um, closer to some of these traditional beef breeds yeah and i think it's data it's it's all about the data um and 
what we've been doing over the last few years is is following the data, listening to what it's telling us, um, and continuing to push the envelope on um, the t- the type of bulls and sires that we're making to to be able to make them more aligned with what the data is showing us. What we've seen is is we're doing a lot better job now than what we were when this whole start this whole thing started. So are the packers like are they keeping all that grade? like what these animals are grading out and then the feed yards are keeping conversion numbers and like everybody, like, is there a central location where everybody's bringing all this information in to help you guys, you know, make better sires? Yeah, that, that, that would be fantastic. if that was the <laughs> <laughs> um, But no, no, not at all. Uh, and again, it's, you know, the traditional beef markets have been very segmented and everybody likes to keep their cards pretty close to their chest. Um, really the only way to get the data all the way through is to own them all the way through um, and integrate it back. So uh, we've, we've done a few projects where we've done that, um, where we follow these calves all the way through from, from conception right through to processors. And we're continuing to do that until we fine tune this, uh, this engine that we've got. Yeah. Like it just seems like there's such a, a daunting amount of information that you guys can garner from, all this and yeah, getting it into one central location where you guys could make better, better genetic selections or, or, you know, look at say X packer wants, you know, this kind of ribeye depth. And so this is a group of sires that, you know, are going to work on this group of Holsteins to get that kind of cross. Yep. And we're, we're getting closer and closer to being able to say a lot of that. And genomics has helped a lot with that beef genomics. Um, so we're we're working on a number of different projects that are slowly narrowing the scope on on what it is that we need and and uh, yeah, like I said, I think we've made huge improvements from where we started, and um, I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg as far as the genetic improvements that are coming. So are the packers different packers looking for different carcass traits, or everybody no. kind of wants a, like a sixty two percent grade out or you know, well, yeah. So everybody wants, yeah. you know, as as high of a dressing percentage as possible. Globally, I would say yes. The Packers all want, not all want something different, but they all have their own niche markets, um, and markets where you know they sell, you know, their products into. And based on those markets and those market needs, you know, they do need cattle that that fit um, what those market needs are. You know, so you got some packers that are wanting more traceability and, and the antibiotic free, the never ever programs. You got some packers that are wanting the the volume markets. Um, you know, and and they all want quality, they all want volume, and and really that's what we're we're trying to chase is to get more quality, more volume out of every carcass. Yeah, because I can imagine like there's packers out there that you know they're going to supply primarily into fast food or box beef and there's other supply or other packers out there that are going into you know higher end restaurants and things like that that what one packer wants isn't what say another packer wants out of out of carcass traits like i'm i mean there's probably those things that everybody like you said everybody wants they want high uh high dressing percentage but like is there packers that are happier with you know they want to have a certain percentage of triple A or primes and another packer isn't necessarily concerned with that. I'm sure there is. I I still think though the majority of packers are looking for more quality and more volume and more efficiency out of every carcass. 
yeah, it's just kind of a standard. Like this is this is how, what helps make our our processor run or processing facility run efficiently. So this is kind of our base characteristics that we want, and then we'll pay on premiums after that. I would I would assume. Yeah, every every sizable packer globally is is all is very concerned with efficiencies, and so you know if you can make a a one percent difference, that's huge. A point two percent difference in in the efficiencies of some of these lines uh, makes you know drastic changes to their bottom line. So you know the more efficient we can make these cattle. Um, both on cutout and, and quality, it, it, it creates a better product and and more of that highly marketable product that, that really is what drives a lot of their economics. Yeah, like the when it gets into like whether it be beef or, beef or dairy processing, like there's just so many variables and so many little things at play that it's just, it's, it blows my mind really we're sitting on the farm and we're worried about one thing, but the packer or the feed yard or whoever else is worried about completely different things. And, and not everybody's necessarily in on the same wavelength. <laughs> so to shift gears a little bit, are beef embryos going to be something that we're going to see in the future here? Like I know there's, there's some talk of it where they're doing some IVF out of uh, uh, uteruses and things like that at, at processing plants. Like, how long until maybe something like that is scalable or, or will it ever be scalable where, you know, you can just get a beef embryo and, and put it into your, use that in your breeding program on a dairy. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, that's to me the next logical step of where this is going. You know, we've done, we've done, as I mentioned, a really, really good job of creating the right cross um, to work with dairy cattle and at the end of the day, what producers and, and sorry and packers are, are looking for is consistency. And so we need to make cattle that are extremely consistent and consistent in every aspect. So consistent fertility, consistent calving ease, consistent feedability, consistent, you know, closeout dates and times, consistent feed conversion consistent carcass qualities, specs, size, you know, everything about it needs to be consistent. As a beef producer looking over the fence at the pork industry or or the chicken industry, you know, that's one thing that that those industries have. They've got an extremely consistent product that they they know all of those things. And I think for the beef industry to to get there um you know, I think that's one of the next logical steps. So we've done a good job of conventional semen, beef semen going into dairies. You know, I think um, looking at sexed beef semen going into dairies is is another thing that's going to get us, you know, more consistent by creating all male calves or mostly male calves. Then after that, I, th- I think moving into some form of embryo, um, you know, is is just another way to to get these calves more and more consistent. Never seems to stop evolving. <laughs> it no, just keeps exactly. changing and changing and changing. But I, I think that like we've got to be able to scale this too, right? And I think maybe that's kind of the the hold up right now is that it might just be too expensive to create an IVF embryo for the average producer to be, you know, purchasing that and putting it into a to a recep animal on the farm. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think, um, yeah, there, there's no doubt that, that today the, the cost of these embryos is, is maybe, um, you know, on the, the higher side of things. But at the same time, I think, you know, as we look at, at more and more data and we, we see the difference between a dairy cross versus a native beef, native beef calf. Um, you know, if the data is showing us that sure, there's more upfront cost, but the reward all the way through the supply chain is worth it. Um, you know, I think that's, that's, what's going to tell us the story. And um, that, that is what we're seeing is, is we're starting to see some of this data show us where our costs are, uh, where there's money to be made and I think these embryos um, are are going to be a way for us to exploit some of those costs or some of that uh, some of that money to be made and and limit our costs. Um, and I think you know I, I like to look at at you know technology over the last however many years. You know I remember my mom and dad buying a the first, one of the first flat screen TVs, and I remember it being you know about a foot you know, a foot thick. And I remember it weighing a ton of quite a bit of weight. And I remember them talking about how expensive it was. And, you know, now you go to Walmart and you can buy a flat screen TV. That's, you know, half an inch wide. It uh, doesn't weigh very much and it's not very expensive. So the same thing I think is happening on the, on the embryo side and, and the way to produce these embryos is, you know, as technology evolves and, and we can, um, you know, start to to do a better job of producing them at scale. Yeah, and I think that's just uh, that's just time that we've worked on it. Like, like if you want to use that analogy, they've been working on you know flat screen TVs for twenty years. So the scalability just keeps getting cheaper with every kind of reiteration of it. So I want to talk maybe a little bit about uh, some feed conversion and average daily gain. Like, what is the disparity right now? between say your native beef calf and a Holstein cross? The variability is the problem. So to be, to be honest, I, I can't answer that um, without being extremely wide brushed in, in, in what I'm painting the picture with, because the variability in native beef calves from the poorer ones to the better ones is, is drastic. Um, and I think the, the beef on dairy has done a lot better job of narrowing that gap. So initially, again, initially the way this the beef on dairy thing started was those those poor doing calves, the, the really low birth weight, extreme calving ease sires. Some of them didn't do a very good job of converting feed, um, but we've really got away from those and and now the the type of calves that we're creating do convert feed much much better um, and much more consistently. The the beef native beef world though is is just extremely variable depending on the types of genetics that you're looking at and and where they're created. Yeah, so maybe that's where we can draw some similarities between you know poultry and and hog production and try and maybe use some of those management practices on the genetic side, just to how do we, how do we tighten that gap and how do we, you know, how do we get a little bit closer on the feed co- or feed conversions and average daily gains and dressing percentages? Cause it seems like they're kind of cookie cutter. The poultry and the, and the pork industry. Is that what you mean? Or the- yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I and again, I think this 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 beef on dairy thing is has is the opportunity to do something very similar, and it's mainly because you can use one sire or one group of sires across the entire industry, whereas the beef industry, everybody has their own bulls. Um, you know, some people AI, but but a very small percentage of the industry AIs, um, and so you know the variability in the genetics is is quite large compared to what we're able to get out of the dairy cross calves. Yeah, I guess it would be just coming from like the like the sires or the sires, like you know, kind of in a ballpark what they're going to do. It'll be coming from the maternal side. That's kind of the variable, right? Yep. Yeah, and if you look at the dairy industry, the the maternal side is pretty close knit. I, I mean, if you if you look at the genetics, there's there's not a there's not as much variability even on the maternal side of of the dairy industry compared to the beef industry. Well, if you just look at the number of sires, like I would say <laughs> that like the amount of producers that are AIing, I don't like just a hazard a guess. I would think above ninety percent. So you just don't have like the the sire selection compared to the beef industry where ever like I'm, I'm sure there's lots of bulls in stud but like you said everybody's kind of got their own genetic lines and families that they like to work with the variability like they're just there's just way more to choose from just wondering too like with your role with cmex like are you dealing with a lot of like integrated producers around the world or is it kind of still like family-owned farms or or what would the mix kind of be on that yeah, so it's um, if you're talking about number of clients that we work with, um, it would be very mixed. If you're talking about the number of cows represented by those clients, it would be probably more skewed towards the larger, more integrated clients, and more integrated from a few different aspects. Um, you know the the. And it depends on where in the world again, because, you know, a couple of the markets where, you know, we, we do work with some of the largest milk producers in the world, those producers are located in countries where they're still looking to grow. So, you know, from a beef cross standpoint, we, we don't really work with them too much, but for example, there's, there is a couple of clients in, in, different countries that that are fully integrated right from start to finish uh with this beef with this beef cross program so do they own the dairies too or they're just buying the calves and then they're they're just following them all the way through processing and packing and and to the store shelves so a bit of both um there is large dairies that own that that own the dairy they started out as a dairy and as this has grown, you know, they're so large that they're, you know, they're milking 20 to 60,000 cows. And, um, you know, their, their dairy is so large that they can have their own integrated beef program as well. And so as they've shifted towards these, these beef cross, beef crosses as a, as a strategy to, to breed, they've made themselves fully integrated in the beef side of it. So they've began to, to build their own, uh, feedlots, a couple, you know, that I know have even started to purchase abattoirs um, to be able to process them as well. So that's that's on a large dairy side of things. The other type of client that we work with, though, would be producers who are strictly in the on the beef side. So they've got feedlots, they have fully integrated um, beef supply chains, 
and they don't own the dairies. So they, they will go out and actively acquire the calves from these dairies. Generally, they'll put restrictions on what those calves need to be, whether it's birth weights or genetics or, um, you know, the amount of colostrum that they're, they're receiving. Um, and then they'll buy those calves based on those specs and, and they'll flow through their supply chain um, right to the finish. So those would be the two types of fully integrated clients. I'd say there's the, there's the dairies that, that are large enough to scale it all the way through. And then there's the, the larger beef integrated um, producers that, that go out and, and buy these calves from, from dairies. Well, I know like we even see it in the Ontario market where there's, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more of these, these programs with beef where, you know, we want to have a certain, number for passive transfer and if you're using these sires they're paying pretty good premiums on some of these calves where it's a comment i get from producers all the time well i had this like 70 pound really nice angus calf holstein cross and i didn't get crap for it the market like you could really see the industry turning and in you know they're wanting a specific product now that fits their system not necessarily what the dairy producer wants to do yeah, I think I think there'll be a day that if you want to sell your calves, you need to be aligned with a supply chain, and you know it'll be a predetermined price based on what what genetics it is that you're using and where the supply chain is flowing through to. I I do believe that day's just on the horizon. It's just fascinating, like all the the mechanics of how all these different industries work and how we're all kind of tied together. Um, I think it's one of those things where everybody kind of, we have to have those open discussions, right. To get on the same page so that, you know, the dairy producers customer, who's these calf integrators um, and these feed yards is getting a, a quality product of, of calf is that fits their specs. So it fits their system. Uh, where do you see the beef thing uh, on dairy going? Like is 50% just the beginning? Like, like I know there's some producers that are talking, you know, 80 or 90% of the services that they're doing on farm are, are beef now. I think it depends on your own situation. Um, I think, you know, depending on what your herd management practices are, what your conception rates are, and how long you're able to keep some of these cows in the herd, I think all of those factors will change um, the percentage of beef usage and, you know, even your genetic levels. So if you're, if you've really pushed the envelope on your cow herd, um, to, to create dairy cows that, you know, really milk the volume that you need and the components that you need, and you can do it with a few less cows because of that, then your beef percentage is going to be higher. There is a point I mean, there has to be a point where, you know, it, it plateaus because I mean, at some point you still need to be able to create replacements. And, you know, I know there's some producers that, that have taken the stance. Well, you know, we can buy these replacements cheaper than, than we can raise them and, you know, just breed the whole herd beef and, and, you know, a hundred percent will go out and acquire our replacements. You know, I think sometimes that's fine. Um, but I would want to just be cautious on on doing that and knowing where your replacements are coming from. And if you're aligned with somebody else that, you know, maybe does a better job of raising heifers, then I think then that that's a different story. But if you're just actively going out on the market and buying replacements all the time, I'd, I'd be nervous about that. And, you know, 
with more of this genomic testing that's that's happening and, and being able to identify young heifers um, early as to which ones are, you know, genetically better than others, producers aren't going to be selling their best ones for, for the, the lowest price. And so, you know, I think if you've got too high of a beef, uh, beef cross percentage, my fear would be that you're having to buy too many replacements. And, and what are those replacements that you're buying? Are they the genetically inferior ones or are you aligned with a producer to make sure that you're getting the, the genetic value that you need for your dairy herd? Yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to see that more where producers are talking about, you know, let's just breed everything beef and let's just kind of trying to line ourselves with another producer that is doing a really good job, you know, raising calves and getting them, getting them calved out and milking and just has, you know, a really good genetic herd and just buying from one source or two sources that, you know, five years ago, you never hear a dairy producer talk about that. They're talking about raising all their own calves and things like that. And now it's like, I think some of these other business opportunities are opening up and they're just seeing like, wow, like, you know, if I take a helicopter view of my own operation and realize like raising calves just isn't our, our, our gig, like we're, whether it be facilities or whether it be uh labor or management, like they're better off to spend the money on buying in replacements rather than raising their own replacements. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you're right. It's this, this conversation has opened the door to, you know, be a little bit more specialized and, you know, if you do a really, really good job of milking cows and getting milk out of your cows, then focus on that. And I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think this this conversation certainly has opened the door to having other conversations. Well, it, it's just like the bottlenecks in the industry are like generally facilities. Like it's not cheap to build anything right now. And the bank, like a lot of times if you go to the bank and say, I want to build a heifer barn, they're going to laugh at you. Like, where are you going to make money on that? Like, so I think producers are kind of hamstrung by that. And then the other thing too is, is land is another big bottleneck. So um, these replacements, like they eat a lot of feed. Yep. And if you could take some of that acreage out of production, um, like, you know, your good hay or, or corn silage ground and, and, you know, grow more cash crop or, or whatever, like, you know, at the end of the day for your business, that's, that might be a better better decision you take some of those cra- uh, crop sales and you buy your replacements in and you don't got to pay buy feed and you have a great source of where they're coming from so you kind of know what the genetics and the, and the producers kind of goals and objectives are so then you're bringing good genetics into your herd as well yep was there any kind of final thoughts that you had on on maybe where I, if you look into your into the future like maybe what the next step is outside of, of embryos or is it just maybe a little bit too early to tell? Yeah, I think, um, you know, so to me, it depends who I'm talking to and, and, you know, the audience here today is probably more dairy producer focused. You know, when I'm talking to, to dairy producers, I just, you know, I strongly encourage to have the conversation with their, with their AI rep and, try to understand what the needs are. And, you know, I think as, as dairy producers, we have a really, really good understanding of what the market needs as far as what kind of milk we need to produce, you know, our components and the volumes and um, uh, 
the the quality of the milk, but we don't have that same understanding of the the beef caps. And so when I'm talking to dairy producers, I strongly encourage them to to try to get that same understanding. And I understand that it's, you know, it's a different beast and it's a, it's a different industry and, and, you know, it's maybe not what we grew up with, but I, I think it's really important to understand where these calves are going, how they're being sold, how they're being marketed. And once you know how those calves are being sold and marketed, you can create a better calf, like better calf that's in more demand, um, a calf that's, that's um, you know, got some more value to it. And if you understand the industry, it will help you have the conversation with your calf buyer to, to realize that value in those calves. And if I'm talking to, to the beef industry that, that's feeding these calves, you know, I, I strongly encourage them to to same thing. Have the conversation with the dairy producers. Let them know what it is that, that you want. Let them know what it is that, that's making money for your business so that we can all get on the same page and, and pull in the same direction. Um, and so I think that's one of the big things moving forward is, is we need more visibility, more traceability all the way through these through the chain to know how make the next generation better than than the, the current one. And I think that the the next thing that's gonna happen though is is as we see more and more of these large integrated supply chains emerge, you know, I think we as producers, both on the beef side and on the dairy side, we need to again try to encourage them and and try to um, get involved with them to to, to make this flow as smoothly and, and efficiently as possible. And if we're going to continue to feed a growing population, um, our efficiencies need to get better and, and our communication throughout the supply chain needs to improve and, and uh, the value in that supply chain needs to be realized at, at all levels. I think I'll just end it there, Brad. That was awesome. <laughs> no, I, I I totally appreciate you coming on the the podcast today because, I mean, it's something that I don't know a lot about, and I'm and I'm learning more about it, and it's just fascinating to me. Like, like this is a completely different value add that a dairy producer can have in their repertoire um, to help make more on farm sales. Like if you're going to get a better, like if you're going to breed the right calf and get a better calf that, you know, the end user wants and you're going to get paid a premium on it, it seems like a no brainer if you're going to go down that, that route. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, a lot of times we've used that word premium, um, getting paid a premium and where this is going though, is not so much about getting paid a premium, but, um, a way to market the calves and at, at some point it's it's in order to have a you know we're seeing this in other in other markets globally in order to have a milk contract to a way to sell your milk um some of these milk processors are saying you have to have a plan for these day-old calves and you know more specifically targeted at the the, the jersey side of things you know, whereas those those bull calves, you know, maybe don't have a useful life sometimes. Um, the the 
public it does not want to hear about that anymore they they gone are the days where they're going to turn a blind eye to to you know the the bobby calf thing that's that's happening in in some other parts of the world um and you know they're starting to put restrictions on um what these what you know these calves have to have a useful life so i think not only is it a way for us to get a few more dollars out of the bottom end of our dairy like you said and selling these beef calves it, it's going to be a way that it's it's going to be our ticket to being able to sell milk and and maybe not so much in in canada um you know where we are a little bit more protected with a with a quota system but um at the end of the day the the public still has a say on on how they want their food produced and and the image of what that food production is so i think that's going to be a bigger part of the story as we move forward as well and um you know i think there's other there's other food processors, uh, food retailers that are getting involved in this conversation now too, that are telling us the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. That not only do they want their beef produced, um, you know, in a humane way, they want it sustainable and they want, you know, all these parameters that, that require a lot of traceability. So I think, yeah, as we move forward, it's the, the industry is changing. Um, the, people that are making the decisions are the um, people that live in the concrete jungles of the world, you know, large urban centers. Um, and it's us rural producers that, that need to uh, be cognizant of what their needs and their wants are, because that's really what's driving um, these large processors to make the decisions that they're making. At the end of the day, there are customers. Absolutely. Yeah, they're buying, you know, they're buying the products that we produce. So it's a lot easier to sell a product that they want than a product that they, you know, maybe have some kind of ethical or 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 problem with, right? So if we take all those out of the equation, then you know, it's gonna be good for the for the food producing industry. So all right, Brad. Well, uh I appreciate your time today. Uh Thanks for uh, for sharing your insights and your knowledge with the with the audience, and uh, have a have a great show. I guess you were telling me that you're down in Texas for a for a cattle show right now. So uh, good luck this week with CMEX, and uh, you said you had a bull in it too. So good luck to him too. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it, and uh, always happy to chat about this topic. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Dairy Farmer's Digest is brought to you by the dairy team at Wallenstein Feed and Supply Limited. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast player. And please leave us a review. If you would like further information about today's topic, check out the show notes for further details and our contact information. I would also like to extend a special thanks to Christine Schoonerwood, our producer, and our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.